Thank you for, for singing with me. I, um, Sam asked me uh, earlier in the week about uh, what are some of my favorite songs, and that's what we sang this morning. <laughs> uh, those are some of my favorites. I have a bunch of them. But uh, thank you for singing them with me. I, I, I enjoyed the worship here so much. Thank you for you who lead it. Um, you see the words in front of you there, fare thee well. Those are, of course, my, my hope and prayer for this church is that you would fare well. And uh, I want to begin this morning with a, a, a quote. This quote is from uh, Francis Chan. Uh, you maybe have heard of him. He's a pastor on the West Coast. And uh, this is what he wrote. If we can let's see, turn on my button, it'll work. He's speaking to a group of pastors, and this is what he said. In a very real sense, we're all interim pastors. At some point, you will not hold the current position you find yourself in at your church. It's only temporary. And that means that there is a 100% chance that you and your church will be part of a succession or a transition. The truth is, there's no pastor that's not an interim pastor. The difference is that some of us have short interims and some of us have longer interims. The church I pastored before coming here, I was there for 26 years. I guess that's a, a long one, a long interim pastorate. This one has only been 15 months. You are about to begin the next chapter in the history, his story of First Baptist Church. And you're about to welcome your next interim senior pastor. He's interim too. We all are. You've had a bunch of them in the history of this church. As I pondered what to say today on my final Sunday here at Sheridan, I was drawn to the, to the ministry of the Apostle Paul because he was the ultimate interim pastor. He went from church to church, staying a short periods of time, some of them just a period of weeks, some of them as long as three years, like at Ephesus, or a year and a half at Corinth, but he was an interim pastor, sort of the ultimate interim pastor. So I thought today, or as I was preparing for this week, I thought, where, where do I look? And so I started looking through his epistles, and my mind was drawn to one of them. That's the epistle of 1 Thessalonians. This is the epistle that Paul wrote after having been in this church for just a very short period of time. At the, le at the short end, it might have been as little as three weeks. At the long end, probably several months. We don't know exactly, but at least three weeks. We do know that from the text of Scripture, which I'm about to read right now. First this is from Acts chapter 17. It tells in these nine verses Paul's ministry in this church. Here's what it says. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason 
and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees. They are saying that there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond, and they let them go. And the next verse, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. That's it. There's his ministry. Now that's an interim pastorate, if you ever had one. I'm not going to run out of town on a rail, though my van is already packed to go back to Longmont, but I don't expect any riots to break out before I leave today. The Apostle Paul went on from Thessalonica, that's in northern Greece, and he made his way south and got to Corinth. And when he got to Corinth, he, he decided that he was going to write a letter back to this body where he was only there for a very short period of time to encourage them in their faith and to correct some things that needed to be corrected. And so he wrote this letter called 1 Thessalonians and sent it with Timothy to take it up to this church, a church that Paul um, maybe visited again, we don't know exactly, but a church that he loved dearly. And so today I'm going to draw what I have to say on my final Sunday here from the book of 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to start where Paul started. In most of Paul's letters, you find in the very first verses of his letter, he expresses words of gratitude. This is where he began in 1 Thessalonians. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian Christians, though they were very, they were very new, brand new Christians, their faith in Jesus produced good works, which it's supposed to do. And these good works were motivated by love, which they're supposed to be, and they experienced some persecution and the good works continued because they had hope that God's way was right. So they put together this triad you find throughout the New Testament of faith and hope and love. They practiced all of these. These three essential marks of Christians were seen clearly in the Thessalonian believers. And the first thing Paul does is he says, I thank God for the privilege of seeing him at work among you. Now as I leave this body, I am filled with gratitude as well. You have treated me extremely well. I might say too well. I have gained about 15 pounds. <laughs> I have, literally. I think I'm going to roll down to Longmont <laughs> instead of drive. You have fed me extremely well. You have very quickly welcomed me into your homes and into your hearts. I have been able to see your faith at work. I have been able to see the love that you have for one another in incredible ways and your love for this community. I have seen 
the hope that you demonstrated in the promises of God as this church went through what could have been a near death. What this church went through a year and a half ago or so would have killed most churches. I don't know if you know that. To lose two pastors in a very, very short period of time is devastating for a church. But you pulled together. You hung together. You grew together. And it's pretty remarkable. I'm filled with a lot of gratitude that I've had the privilege of watching this take place and being a part of it. And so the first thing I think of when I think of this church, like the Apostle Paul, is gratitude. But the second thing that comes to mind that Paul constantly focuses on is the gospel. You've probably, I'm sure you've listened to me over these last year and, and three months, and you realize that um, I've spoken many times about how the gospel is imperiled, both outside the church and inside the church. The gospel is being added to, it's being subtracted from, the gospel is being pure, pluralized, and the gospel is being spiritualized. And one of the greatest needs of the church in America today is to maintain the simplicity and the purity and the centrality and the power of the gospel. It's all we have, really. This is what Paul wrote. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Paul said, I know you people are true because what I brought to you was the gospel, true and powerful. And when I saw you take that gospel, it resulted in lives that were fruitful and spiritual. That's what it's supposed to be. Now, this church gives every evidence that the gospel has taken firm root among you. But I'm here to warn you that there are many other gospels out there. These are not true gospels, but they're put forth as if they are the gospel. There's the health and wealth gospel, so to say, speak. There's the, the gospel of political correctness. And there's the, the gospel of politics and the gospel of me. There's the gospel of Paul. There's the gospel of Cephas. There's the gospel of John Kraft. There's the gospel of Tom Hovestall. And none of those are true. There's only the gospel of Jesus. That's the only one that matters. We must remember that. What is central to us as Christians is the good news about Jesus, that Jesus is our Savior. He died on the cross for our sins, and he was raised from the dead. That's the good news. That is way greater than any person who's ever been in this church or has ever taught the Word of God. Keep the gospel central. Something else that I, I fear has shifted significantly in our society over the past several decades is the role of the pastor. I took this picture because here's somebody wearing many, many different hats. And it seems to me that it's very important as a new pastor comes into this body that we go back to the Bible and remember who a pastor is and what we're supposed to do. Now, interestingly, in, our, in the Bible, 
the metaphors that describe the work of a pastor are mostly derived from agriculture and farming. A shepherd. One who sows seed. And that really fits in Wyoming. However, the models put forth for pastors today are largely derived from business and politics. Be careful. Be careful. I think it's time we go back to, and we will, the things tend to be cyclical. Go back to what the Bible says is the role. And here's how Paul put it when he wrote to this church. As apostles of Christ, I mean, that's a big wig. You don't get any bigger than an apostle of Christ next to Jesus. As an apostle of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. We could have told you, this is how you take care of us. But we were gentle among you. Like a mother caring for her children. The first thing he says is, you know, we're like mothers. And you know what mothers are. Mothers are known throughout the world as the, the ones whose unconditional love for their children is deepest and greatest and strongest. Thank God for our mothers. He goes on. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Because you had become so dear to us. I found myself this morning crying because you guys have, in a short time, you've become very dear to me. You're really good people. I love you. But he goes on. Look what he says next. For you know that we dealt with you, each of you, as a father. So he first calls himself a mother, and then he says, I'm a father. And what does a father do? A father encourages and comforts and urges his children to live lives worthy of God. John, the great father, the apostle John, the only apostle who survived till old age, he says, I have no greater joy. The greatest thing that I've ever experienced in my life, second to my, my walk with Jesus, is to see my children walking in the truth. That's what a father does. I, I would say this is true of me. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking with Christ. A father and a mother. That's what he says. That's what he says. Now, what does a mother do? You know what a mother does. Uh, a, a mother is known for sacrifice and care and love and sharing her life with her children. And what's a father like? A father wants to stimulate courage and Promote and, and, and provide comfort and constantly urge his children to go forward with God. Um, it seems to me that if people have asked me sometimes, what's, um, what's your work as a pastor most like? And this is what I usually answer. The quote-unquote position in society today that best resembles my job as a pastor is that of a mother. Here's why. Maybe not, you know, the roles have changed today, but let's say some, some years ago, mothers spent a huge amount of their time preparing meals. That's what they did. 
before the microwave and all these other things, they would spend a huge amount of time preparing meals. Guess what pastors spend most of their time doing? Preparing meals. That's what I do. That's what a pastor does. We spend a lot of time cooking food. Our food is called the Word of God. Of course, the food a mother cooks is the stuff for our bellies. Now, let me ask you, what did you, 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 you children, what did your mother cook three weeks ago on Tuesday night? You don't know. Did you eat? Yes, I know you ate. You don't have a clue. What about last Tuesday? Do you know what you ate last Tuesday? Well, let me ask you this. Do you know what I spoke about four weeks ago? No. <laughs> Did you eat? Yes. That's kind of like a mother. We spend a whole lot of time cooking food that you eat and you don't remember. Nor do I, by the way. <laughs> but you ate the, the food. What does mothers do? They spend a lot of time breaking up fights. What do pastors do? Spend a lot of time breaking up fights between siblings. That's what we do. That's, but that's good work. And Paul says, you know, when I want to describe what I was among you, I was like a mother. I fed you. I love you. I sacrifice for you. I was like a father. I want nothing more than that you walk in the truth. That's our role. And Paul says, this was a delight because you were dear to him. And then Paul, as always, emphasizes the authority and the practicality of the word of God. Look at what he said. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. You see, the word of God works. For those who have hearts that are receptive, the word of God takes root in that heart and it produces fruit. That's what God wants. And Paul said, when we spoke the word of God to you, you received it, and you did not regard it as the word of Paul. And I hope you never regard it as the word of Tom, or John, or Ken. It's the word of God, which makes it infinitely more authoritative. But even better than that, when you hear the word of God, it doesn't just tickle your ears, it changes your life. Now, we live in a culture, as you know, in which biblical illiteracy is on the rise. And I pray that First Baptist Church will buck the trend. You'll buck it big time. I trust in the future, First Baptist Church will not only be known as a Bible-centered church. That's nice, but that's not too, too good. But you'll be known as a church in which the Bible is in the hearts of the people. That's good. That's what Paul said happened there. You didn't just take this as the word which you put into your mind. It, put, it changed your life. That's what the Bible is supposed to do. Now, um, many of you have said to me, you've said to me, oh, thank you, Tom, for the sacrifices you've made 
leaving your home in Longmont and your wife and coming here to Sheridan. Thank you. That's nice of you. But in truth, my sacrifices have been few. Not only is this a really nice town and you're really good people, but my sacrifices are few. Our military people do this all the time. I hope we say thank you to them because they deserve it. This is not anything in business. People do this a lot. I'm not anything usual. But what you may not realize is how fortunate I've been. By the way, did you realize the rewards program I got from being here? You see the sacrifice. I don't see the sacrifices. I see the rewards. And that's what Paul saw. Because, you know, Paul's always on the, on the run. He's, I mean, he had to run for his life. He had no home, so to speak. He made sacrifices, but he says, sacrifices? Do you know the rewards program that I'm a part of? Here's his rewards program. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. You've heard it said many times, I hope, there are two things only that last for eternity, the Word of God and human beings. Paul says, you think it's a sacrifice that I can get a reward in heaven for giving my life to human beings, and you think that's sacrifice? This isn't sacrifice. This is reward. What greater reward can you ever have in this life than having the privileges you've given to me to invest my life in the Word of God and people? And you think that's sacrifice? That's no sacrifice. That's an eternal investment. I get to, you've given me the privilege of investing my life in the most important things that are going to last for eternity. And I get paid for it. This is good. Don't forget the rewards. The rewards are great, and they're, they're, they're so substantial. You've given me the privilege of investing my life in things that are eternal. Thank you. Well, we've talked enough about my role, the role I've played as an interim pastor, but now it's time to talk about your role in the next phase of your church life with Pastor Chad. And the Apostle Paul is going to turn to that now. The first thing he's going to talk about is love. Here's what he says. Now about brotherly love. We don't need to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you brothers to do so more and more. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my followers if you love each other. He didn't say, by this, all people will know you're my followers if you love me. He said, they, they won't know much of anything by that. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love the unlovely. He didn't say that. You love the unsaved. He didn't say that. Love the outsiders. He didn't say that. He said, you will know. The world will know that you are the real deal 
If you love each other, guess what? That's probably the hardest thing to do. He said, that's the acid test. Now, your brotherly love over the next few months is going to be put to a test. The straight truth is that the truth is far more, this next phase of life is far more about you than it is Pastor Chad. Remember, all pastors are interim pastors. You have shown yourselves to be a people who hang together and love one another through a tough time. Don't stop. This next phase is a honeymoon in some ways, but as you know, all of us who have had honeymoons, there's a little tension there. Because now you've got to start living with a brand new person that you're not used to living with. And there's tension. But this is where your love will be put to the test. He says, do it more and more. And then, you see, the most important thing that's going to take place in this church is not what's going to take place on Sunday morning in this room. It's what's going to take place when you leave this room and go out into the world. And this is what Paul said to them. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. You see, as I've been here these 15 months, you have some formidable strengths. You have some incredible opportunities. And you have some areas that are not real strong. I think one of the great areas that could be strengthened a lot is if everyone here at First Baptist Church could realize when we leave this place, we enter the mission field. And the mission field primarily is where we work. And we show by the way we live, by the way we work, and by how we talk about Jesus, that we're the real deal. The mission field is out there. Well, you know the song, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Now the Apostle Paul is going to turn his attention to the people who will lead the church of Thessalonica because he's not there. And he's going to say the most important thing you can do is to learn to respect them. Here's what he said. Now he asks you, brothers to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in highest regard in love because of their work. You see, the Apostle Paul knows that most of us as people are not really good at respecting our leaders, and Americans are really bad at this. We don't respect anybody. That's a problem. You see, Paul highlights two reasons why leaders should be respected. One, for their work, their hard work. But the other is because of their position. We don't do that. We call our, our presidents by bad names. We don't respect them. But we do the same with pastors. Uh, please, 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 offer Chad more respect than you have so graciously afforded me. Cut him some slack. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Don't compare him to Ken Doolin or John Kraft or myself. Let him develop his own style. I believe strongly 
based on the word of God, that God raises up leaders for his purposes. God has brought Chad here for a purpose. And that purpose will probably be based on his strengths. Every one of us has strengths and weaknesses. What churches often do is they highlight a pastor's weaknesses. And if you do that, you'll destroy him and the church. Rather, focus on his strengths. What God has given him as his, his special gifts. Focus on that. Compliment the weaknesses with other people, perhaps. But, but realize, this is God's gift to you. Offer him respect. Now, Paul, of course, had some parting shots. You're never going to let him get away without telling us some parting shots. And you see who that is. That's Peyton Manning. Now, most of you I hear, many of you are Bronco fans. I'm not. I'm a Packer fan. But <laughs> never, <laughs> I heard an amen. Thank you. Um, you remember he, let, he, he ended his career with that Super Bowl win over the Carolina Panthers. And after 18 years, he, uh, in March of 2016, he announced his, uh, his retirement. And these are his last words. I fought a good fight. I finished my football race, after, and after 18 years, it's time. God bless all of you, and God bless football. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> Interesting. Um, well, here's Paul's parting shots. He's going to hit them fast. Be joyful always. Pray all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Those are all incredibly positive things to do. So he first of all focuses on an attitude of gratitude. He says, this is the thing. If you want your church to flourish, focus on your attitude of gratitude. But then he says, keep the balance. Don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. But test everything. What I would submit to you is everything, we've got all this kind of spiritual stuff going on in our world today. Everything must be tested by the authoritative word of God. That which is consistent with the word of God, hold on. That which is not, get rid of it. That's what we're supposed to do. Paul appeals not just for their attitude of gratitude, but also that they maintain a godly balance based on the authority of the Word of God. And then he ends with a prayer. The Apostle Paul ends with two prayers. The book of 1 Thessalonians has two sections. At the end of the first section, he offers a prayer of benediction. And at the end of the second section, he offers a prayer of benediction. And I'd like to conclude this message by offering Paul's prayers of benediction. Usually when we pray, we close our eyes and fold our hands. Today, may I beg you to open your eyes and pray. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes 
with all his holy ones. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.